And we're live, friends from around the world. Welcome to Soha. Today we have a very exciting community project. Now, what is a community project? These are potentially our most interesting live streams. They're episodes and sessions that our community members come up with and produce themselves. So aside from doing this little intro, I did not have anything to do with what you're about to see. If anybody watching this has some ideas that they'd like to bring to life, reach out to me. Let's do it. That's what we're all about, doing things together as a community. I'm not going to say much more, just uh, the basics. If you're new to this channel, please like and subscribe. A shout out to our Patreon visionary members. We have Trivium Energy PTYLTD. We have SOG Cannabis. And we have Max Marine. If you want to be a Patreon visionary member, you can find a link to our Patreon in the link below. And even if you're not a visionary member, all patrons help us make this content and really help us aid in the reconciliation process. That's what we're all about. Like always, we're going to do an after party in Discord. You can find a link to Discord in the description. After party is essentially just uh, continuing the conversation, but where the community can join in on the conversation. Without further ado, it's an honor to bring on Rafi Gassel, who actually is the community member who thought of this project. So, uh, Rafi, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you, and uh, Thank you. enjoy. Thanks, Adar. Hi, my name is Rafi. I uh, live in Jerusalem, Israel. I work in biotechnology, um, and next generation sequencing DNA research. And uh, on the side, I'm also involved in peace activism and um, reaching out to people in the Palestinian community and finding ways to, to move forward together. So tonight we're gonna to talk about um, In Search of a Common Narrative, the, uh, the History of Israel-Palestine. We're gonna talk about genetic research. Um, over the past 20 years or so, there's been a, a series of uh, genetic studies on Jews and Palestinians showing uh, a significant amount of common ancestry. And we're gonna talk about what what that means to us and how we, how we interpret that in for ourselves and in the world of, of coexistence. So my special guests tonight are Svi Messinai and uh, Dr. Carl Sarecki. So Svi Messinai is uh, an Israeli researcher, an author, historian, computer scientist, and entrepreneur, a graduate in physics from the Haifa Technion University, a pioneer in the Israeli software industry, won in, in 1992 the Rothschilds Award for Industrial Development, the first one in the field of software, the founder and the first president of Sapiens International Corporation, whose technology and development started under his leadership in 1972 in the Weizmann Institute of Science. Since 2000, Svi spends most of his time researching and documenting the common Hebrew roots shared by world Jewry and the Palestinians and designing a win-win peace solution based on his findings. He wrote several books on the subjects and several short documentaries and interviews with him were prepared and aired for Israeli TV. Dr. Carl Sarecki. Carl? was born and raised in Toronto, uh, Ontario, Canada, received his uh, master's degree from the University of Toronto. He's pursued a postgraduate clinical and research training in internal medicine, nephrology, and molecular biology at Brigham and Women's and, and Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard University. In January uh, 1999, Carl and his family moved to, uh, to Israel, subsequently joining the Rambam Medical Center and Technion's Faculty of Medicine in Haifa. 
Between the years 1995 and 2005, he served as the director of nephrology department in Rambam until, and until recently, director of medical and research development. He also served as director of the Rappaport Research Institute between 2000 and 2015, launching major novel research programs in stem cell and human genetics research, establishing the Institute's technology transfer company, and overseeing the institution's budget. Professor Sarecki is currently the dean of bar Lanz University, Azrieli Faculty of Medicine in Safed. Um, Carl's current major research interests are human population and molecular genetics, having started with research studies tracing founding patrilineal and matrilineal lineages in Near East and Jewish populations, which has now been extended to genome-wide studies, including many global populations, with an emphasis on kidney disease population disparities. His research has been reported in leading scientific and medical journals and books with more than 250 publications and close to 8,000 citations. Carl has delivered multiple endowed lectures at leading universities throughout the world and premier scientific conferences. Carl has served and continues to serve on numerous institutional, national, and international advisory boards and committees. And most recently, Carl was elected as a member of the Council of the Israel Science Foundation. In addition, Carl has received several research prizes, as well as university and international teaching awards. His research discoveries attract widespread public and media interest, including 60 Minutes, Newsweek, Nova, National Geographic, Discovery, and many others. My, my co-host, my esteemed co-host for this evening, and my good friends, Omar and Zahir. Omar is a Palestinian research assistant at MIT in the area of RNA detection and prognostic devices. He is interested in finding a win-win solution for the conflict that is beneficial for Palestinians and Israelis. Zahir is a Palestinian from the West Bank with a lot of knowledge regarding Palestinian history, folklore, and the origins of Palestinian tribes, plants, and people, and many more things, as you will see when you hear him speak. The history of Israel-Palestine in search of a common narrative. So the topics for this episode are the genetic roots of the Jewish and Palestinian people looking for a common narrative that fits the data. As I mentioned, there has been over the last 20 years, starting with the Ariely Oppenheim in um, Hadassah, Adasa Medical School, doing research, the, originally the Y chromosomal paternal research, uh, showing a relationship between Jews and Near East populations, including Palestinians. That sort of opened the door. And that was followed by sort of autosomal research studies, where you look at the, the full genome of, of Jewish populations and Palestinian populations. And it also continued to show uh, similar commonalities. And even more recently now, there are studies on looking at ancient DNA, or that's where they dig up bones from the ground, and they, they did something like 70 uh, samples from 70 skeletons found from about 3,000 years ago, showing that the majority of the ancestry of the modern Jewish people and the modern Palestinian people seems to match those, those bones they find in the ground in the, in the region. And so that's been fascinating. And, and we, as people who have been involved in sort of peace activism, my, my co-host and I, I've long noticed like a lot of conversations when you start talking about Israel and, and Palestine, it, it starts to get into like who was here first and, and starts to get into a discussion uh, amongst novices often, but about genetics and about ancestry and about, about history. And then sometimes they'll start arguing, well, I was here first, well, I was here first. And then I find that when you, you know, you, you present them with this information, they're like, well, actually, you both seem to have been here first and you, you seem to be related to each other. So now, you know take that information and figure out where, where, what that means to you and where you go forward. Also wanted to, um, 
Uh, I have a disclaimer, right? The Israel-Palestinian conflict is a very serious issue and it requires an, an ethical political solution to resolve it. A common narrative is not a replacement for a political solution. However, believe that this, this discussion can help. Finding a common narrative helps create the mindset necessary for us to think together as what that solution might look like and how, how we might move forward. So that explained, I'm going to mention what, what I think are the three possible explanations that I use to think about this, this data. If, if Jews and Palestinians share some common ancestry, the, the first option is we're, we're all the descendants of the Canaanites, like it was in the, in the recent study where they looked at, at skeletons that they identify as Canaanites because they come from the, the Canaanite period. And, and that's sort of one narrative that we're all, you know, the ancient Bronze Age Levantines. And there's, there's some support for that. Then the next one is what what Spie will bring up is that we're all Hebrews or Israelites, Jews and Samaritans and the and the you know surrounding Moabites, uh, Ammonites, Edomites, and all and all these people from the Bible that have you know a common Hebrew speaking root in this land, and we are their their descendants. And there's that's certainly from the Jewish perspective, very you know heartwarming way to look at it, and that's that's very nice. And we'll discuss with our our Palestinian uh, co-hosts, how they feel about that. And the other one that's often comes up is the, the Isaac and Ishmael story, the, uh, the sort of the biblical story of these two brothers that were born in Hebron and, you know, went their, their separate ways and their descendants formed the, 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 uh, what are now the Jewish people and the, and the Arab people. And that, yeah, that narrative resonates a lot. And you hear that in the, the discussion of, of discourse. So I say, let's, um, unless my co-host have any, uh, have any comments? I say let's start with Carl and bring us up to speed on what is the latest, uh, the state of the art for genetic research on Jewish and Palestinian ancestry. What what do we know, and where where is this information going? Thank you, Rafi. Thank you, Omar. Thank you, Zahir. Thank you for uh, the invitation. Um, and maybe I'll begin uh, with this disclaimer myself. Okay. In other words, I think that. I will, because um, I've been asked to, and out of politeness, try to say what I can about the specific question of genetic affinities and, and the use of genome sequencing as um, an adjunctive tool, along with uh, narrative histories, archaeology, archival records, memory, and so forth, um, in trying to understand shared histories and ancestries. But I will say right up front that much of that is much, much less relevant to me personally than the single way overriding consideration that there are some 12 million plus people here now uh, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. And that's just living, breathing men, women, and children and to me, that eclipses everything else. In other words, I may or may not find um, an archaeological piece of evidence for this or that Solomonic temple or this or that prior uh, population, non-Jewish, Jewish, Druze, Canaanite, uh, others from 2,000-something years ago or 5,000 years ago. That is interesting. It may have, as you said, Rafi, impact on our current conceptions. It may shape the nature of um, nuanced discussions about grievances and injustices and justices and events that occurred 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and 1,000 years ago. But overriding all of that is my view 
that we are human beings. That's our main shared ancestry, our main overwhelming, overriding, eclipses everything else by far, uh, by orders of magnitude. And that's our shared ancestry. That's as clear as can be. Uh, and, and therefore, that is the main issue we need to contend with. Not saying to ignore what I'm about to try to explain very briefly, 20, 25 years of research, but it's it, to me more of an interest, a curiosity, uh, but should, and as you pointed out correctly, Rafi, um, you know, it can be helpful, but it cannot uh, replace the uh, active efforts that we should be making uh, because we're living, breathing human beings and, and have um, need to respect that, that, that the fact that we're here. Uh, some, some people may, thought, may think that we some should, should came here too late, too early, shouldn't be here, shouldn't come, you know, whatever. But the fact is, we're here. And uh, Palestinians are here. Uh, Israeli Arabs are here. Israeli Arabs who call themselves Palestinians. Jews, Jews, whatever, Druze, people who are living here are here. And we are not going to be displacing each other. We're not going to be destroying each other. We are going to have to learn to live together. And if, if um, certain um, findings can help that along, make it more comfortable for this person or that person living here or there, then wonderful. I'm in favor of that. But it should not be the basis. And, and refuting a bit of common ancestry or a bit of evidence of this or that other should not be the undoing of what I view as the overriding uh, reason for us to seek peace and be peace activists. Um, that said, I will anyway, because you've asked, I'll try to very briefly uh, review because some of the listeners may, may or may not be familiar with um, population genetics. And just in a word, we know that of the um, seven plus billion people living on earth, um, we each have three billion base pairs, and most of those base pairs are very similar to each other, remarkably similar to each other, so that all humans across the globe have shared recent ancestry. Actually, it's frighteningly recent, and it's a very small uh, cohort of individuals we all come from. We've wandered, we've made it, we've moved, etc. cetera. And uh, if we focus in, and that can be studied in many parts of the world, and we can, we have the ability to, in contemporary living individuals, compare a small amount of variation among different populations and reconstruct through that variation patterns of migration, of admixture, of movement from geographic place A to geographic place B, introgression into another population, and so forth. Um, and I won't go into all of that because there are many, many books and, and, and well-written and, and many videos and, and much. And I think many of the listeners probably are, are familiar with that. Um, when we now focus in a little bit on the uh, Palestinian uh, people and Jewish uh, people living in Israel and outside of Israel as well, um, and look at the variation, um, we, can, we can see uh, areas of shared ancestry where there's variation that is closer among uh, descendants of diaspora Jewish communities and contemporary Palestinians than with other populations, just in, in, in very general terms. That's not true for every single Jewish diaspora population, 
who have recently, recently being in the last hundred years, uh, resettled or come uh, to the current state of Israel, what was Palestine until the establishment of the state of Israel. Um, now, the um, you referred, and I think it's extremely, extremely, probably the most enlightening um, bit of genetic work, is that which you referred to, the very recent study by Lily Agronet Tamir, uh, from Liran Carmel, David Reich, Israel Finkelstein. It's a, it's a very nice coming together of archaeology with genetics. That's why I like it so much with history. And as you point out, it was actually 93 um, samples, DNA from 93 samples, 73 new and 20 pre-existing, which were analyzed and show what really we should have kind of you know, realized. Of course, we all realize it. There were people here long before there were Jews, there were um, uh, Arab, Muslim Arabs, Christian Arabs, Druze, Bedouin. There were people here. There were people living here. These people, uh, some, you know, came from Northeast Africa, where all humanity originated and spread around the globe from. Some uh, came back from the, let's say, Caucasus or from the um, Zagros mountains uh, through the Caucasus and various areas. They came here. There were lots of people living in this part of the world. Somehow it was an attractive crossroads. Makes sense. If you think about it, of geographic location, the Eastern Mediterranean coast, uh, there were people here. And uh, those people uh, left descendants. And some of the descendants moved to various parts of the world, admixed, and have recently come back. That would be the Jewish... Um, um, establishment of Israel as a, as, as a state for the Jews uh, with the establishment of the state of Israel. And there were other introgressions. There were uh, introgressions or movements of Arab nation and Arabic-speaking people from the Arabian Peninsula into this area. There were indigenous. But when you look at the DNA, and this is pretty, very, very strong, uh, I think, in this cell paper, that we can see a common shared uh, set of variations which are which um, belong to or which are carried by a, in a large proportion of the genomic sequence of, of contemporary Palestinians uh, and Levantine Arab-speaking populations and Jews, even though they've in, admixed and brought with them from their various thousands of years of uh, wandering through Europe and North Africa and further east in the Middle East brought with them uh, variation from those parts of the world, but also carry through, through those millennia bits of that original uh, commonality. And that's what's really evident. And that is perhaps the, the, the most important part of the shared genetic narrative. And it's throughout the genome. You know, you're right that the work started with paternal and maternal ancestries, that is the Y chromosome and the mitochondrial DNA that was easiest to study in 1995, 96. But now the entire genome can be studied and one can see these shared. Uh, so that so the, the Jewish people coming back have this tapestry with these shared threads and these shared threads among them are also shared with Palestinians. Um, that is kind of a bottom line message. Again, I go back and saying that's very heartwarming. It's nice. It's uplifting. It maybe makes this process uh, uh, of reconciliation uh, 
easier for some people, but again, for me, the overriding, uh, the overriding ancestry is that we're all humans living here together. I'll stop there, and I'm willing to, you know, obviously go deeper. I've given it a very, very superficial kind of sound bite uh, approach. Omar, do you have any questions for for Carl? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can ask a general question. Um, when it comes to studying ancient samples from like the Bronze Age, um, other than like archaeological evidence um, of like whether those peoples were of a Phoenician culture, Israelite culture, any of the other um, you know uh, Levantine groups, is there any genetic piece of evidence that can potentially distinguish these Bronze Age peoples from one another? Because uh, as far as I understand it, they're extremely close genetically. That's a great question, Omar. Now, I, I have to say that I'm very inexpert in the study of ancient DNA. So my, all my work over the years has been contemporary DNA taken from living, breathing individuals today. Uh, and the entire field of studying ancient DNA has undergone a revolution and breakthrough because of technological advances of deep sequencing, Svante Pabo, of course, and David Reich and others, um, as I can't mention all their names, uh, and Shed Light. So taking that technology and applying it to what you have pointed out, that is these various sites, and actually, I, I will try this share screen for a second. This is, uh, um, if, if this works, uh, we'll see in a minute. Um, not sure it'll work. So well, let's just uh, skip it then, so as not to trouble the listening audience. Um, so I'm off the share screen, uh, I think. And basically we have, you know, sites, of course, from what is currently uh, in Israel, Chatzor. It was also called Chatzor for a long time. Shurtzfi, Misinai knows much more about the history than many of you do. Uh, Yehud, uh, areas in Amman, around Jerusalem, uh, areas in Lebanon, Sidon, uh, and others. M multiple sites uh, of what were the Canaanite city-states. Um, and pretty and and the relationship between the genetics and the culture or the naming of a site is is quite correct. Omar is inf inferential, not direct. It's inferred by uh, archaeologists who do carbon dating along with you know other technologies. Look at the nature of the pottery, the nature of the material, then look at the petrous bone or the skeletal remain nearby and say, oh, this must come from there. Draw an inference and then say this was this following Canaanite city-state. And this was that. And you're quite right. And, and this was one of the big findings of the cell paper was, as opposed to what really no one knew or no one was sure about, these Canaanite city-states, the, the inhabitants thereof, the small number that had been sampled, were quite related to each other. In other words, they were city-states, but they were actually quite related to each other. And not so surprising because there was a population that was mixing and moving in this tiny, small part of the world, relatively speaking. And you're quite right that there were a few pockets of other populations, let's say coming from the Eastern Mediterranean, whether they be Phoenician, uh, Philistine, from Greece, etc., also introducing their DNA. You know, humans love to move and to mate. And when they move, they bring their DNA. When they mate, they leave, they leave their DNA and their descendants. 
And that's what we can see. And, and these were people. And then they developed cultures. They adopted religions. They started working together. Sometimes they fought. And, uh, and then, you know, I think we're seeing the bits and fragments of that history being reconstructed. And here we are today living together. I do have one more quick question. Um, so when it comes to, you know, studying modern populations um, and, uh, you know, trying to understand the commonalities uh, of uh, ancestry between uh, modern populations, uh, one important aspect is how sampling is done generally. So um, when you study various uh, Jewish groups, either in the diaspora or in Israel, um, you know, you, you can get samples from the Ashkenazim, different uh, Sephardic communities, um, and so on. Um, but like, from what I've seen so far, most of the Palestinian samples are just labeled as Palestinian without really much, I guess, background to where exactly they're from. And um, the way Palestinian society is structured is that we know our paternal line quite well and you know, it's been a part of various empires in our history, so there's been an admixture from various areas. But um, are you aware of any studies that, for example, home in on certain clans or certain regions uh, of, like, different uh, Palestinian tribes uh, in, like, let's say, the north of Akka, Akko, uh, versus tribes in like, the south of Hebron and studying their differences? Because I, I, I think it would be, you know, quite interesting... Um, at, like at least to study the, the autosomal DNA or even just the, the Y chromosome and uh, just to see if like the folk stories match uh, or not. And I, I guess that this can, uh, uh, you know, uh, th this might be somewhat in, uh, in uh, his area because he was, you know, trying to be uh, like Jewish cultural connections um, or practices passed on in certain uh, communities because they're a settled people as opposed to, uh, you know, other communities in the area. So I, I guess in, in terms of like the question, um, do you see any benefit in, I guess, looking at like microcosms, I, I guess? Yeah, I think, yeah I, I think it's, you know, you, you've hit on a very, very key Point. So uh, sampling and the resolution and sampling, just leaving aside now ancient DNA, as you correctly brought us back to contemporary uh, DNA, um, is, is not at all um, kind of symmetric between uh, Jewish populations and the Palestinian population or even other Middle Eastern populations. So uh, European populations in general, and certainly Ashkenazi Jews and North African Jews and Middle Eastern Jews from Iraq uh, and even India have been uh, much more sampled at a much higher level of resolution and much larger numbers proportionately to the existing population than have, let's say, the uh, Palestinian population. Um, and, and not only that, but by country by family name, by maternal, by paternal, the maternal compared to the autosomal, the paternal compared to the autosomal, all of them compared to each other. All of that has been done to a much higher degree of resolution, has been informative, has actually led to, in, to an industry as well, okay? So, you know, people are sending their DNA away, paying money, trying to find out who their third cousin once removed is, even though they're not even speaking to their brother for the last 30 years, they still want to know their 
fourth cousin once, once removed is somewhere across the across the globe. But but that has been much much. You're quite right. More intensely studied. The in and I think there's certainly a scientific merit and perhaps even a personal uh, familial merit in and there's no reason not to really be able to do that uh, in the what. You know, I'll tell you why I'm I'm appreciating this and learning it more these days because of a a new project in Israel called Sifas or Mosaic, um, that it was very easy to try to define the Jewish population of the state of Israel by what European or North African, Tunisia, Morocco, Lithuania, when 70 years ago, 90 years ago, Ethiopia, etc., when it came to the uh, Arab-speaking population and Palestinians, um, uh, we had to do, I, I spoke to a number of experts and, and to the best I could, to try to reconstruct that in the Druze population it was a little bit easier on the paternal line, but in other Arab-speaking populations and among the Palestinians, it, was, it, was, it seems to be quite a complex tapestry that uh, I think uh, there's a lot to lo- there's a lot to learn of pure scientific information and pure historical information, just like finding, let's say, an archival record in a particular family, an artifact in a particular family. It goes back. I think it can be, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. And and um, you know, it it could be very. So why do I mention Sifas before I, I let Svi Nisinai, who who you know seems I think to to study this more. Uh, in depth, I know he he and I met. He I hope he remembers maybe f- twelve or fifteen years ago or more or yeah, at the Rappaport Institute. I don't know if he remembers that meeting. I remember it very well. But the um, uh, the Sifas project is a new Israeli initiative to try to um, develop what's called the um, Israel uh, and I would add Palestine. Uh, it's not in there, but I would add it, reference genome. So in other words, the human reference genome, you're familiar, you're, you're, at, you're at the heart of all this, right? And, and Rafi also and others is, is, is kind of not that relevant to us. We, we need to develop what's called a de novo assembly, Israel-Palestine reference genome. And Sifas is starting with Israel. I think if it's successful, I would, I would hope that Palestinians everywhere will also want to be joined in that. And it means full genome sequencing of tens of thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of individuals for health reasons, but also for historical and scientific reasons. And that is taking off even as we speak these days. Thank you. That's fascinating. I, I, I have many more questions, but I'd like to, to go on to Tzvi for um Give him, give him a chance to, uh, to start. So, Svi, um, what, what has your research shown in terms of, you know, the uh, anthropological studies that you've done, looking at common Hebrew, common Jewish and Samaritan roots amongst Palestinians that you've, that you've written about, the, the personal stories, the testimonials that uh, <laughs> people you've met, and, and what does that, that mean to you? Okay, first... I agree with Carl that the uh, early history and the shared genome is secondary uh, to, to what we are trying to achieve today. 
and to the solution that is required here. Um, there's no main argument or serious argument about us being different in the history. But, and, and there are in, enough findings for this already. I will not get into this now. What's important is what can contribute to a solution here. And the uh, long past or the, the very far past is less relevant, though for me it was a catalyst to do a study of what we can find today. And I'm working on this already for 20 years. Only recently I found from four so different sources that about 1885, the Ottomans uh, prepared a large file of families living here. And uh, these families that they found were, they, they found that 400, uh, sorry, 100,000 families living here on both sides of the Jordan River had a Jewish history. And they made the uh, elders or the heads of the families to sign this document. This document exists in a archive in Ankara today. And the meaning of this, I calculated the average number of persons in a family at that period to be a bit above four, which means this is a, a, about a 400,000 plus people living here that are of a Jewish origin. And the population in 1885 in both sides of the Jordan were a, a bit above half a million. So we are speaking around 80% that testified for their Jewish origin. Uh, and the meaning of this is that at that time, we had a lot of knowledge about the origin of the Palestinians because at that year, most of the people here were considered uh, Muslims or, or were Muslims. And there are more details about what happened a bit earlier in 82 that uh, all the, these Palestinians were forced to desert their Jewish customs. But uh, the important part is this uh, document that shows that there was a knowledge about it, a very good knowledge for 80% of the Palestinian people there. Now, what uh, happened later is that Hajimin al-Husseini, the Mufti, that was uh, a clear anti-Zionist, he uh, just hidden this document for the public, and by this he succeeded to get a mob uh, damaging the Jews, killing the Jews, and uh, not, not that many, but he succeeded to create hatred between the parties. And uh, with, with this, uh, the hatred started. Uh, he started making uh, problems to the Jews in uh, 1920. But the problems became bigger in 1929, in Hebron, in Jerusalem, in other places. And uh, this created hostility. But in 36, 1936, became the big Arab riot. And uh, this was much more serious. 
Ben Gurion in 36 said that no Jews should give up any piece of the land uh, west of the Jordan River. But uh, the, after the, what happened here, the events and the massacres that went here, uh, uh, that uh, he uh, deserted this idea. Though in uh, 1956, he tried to Judaize the Bedouins in the South. Judaize means not in the religious point of view, but in the national point of view. And uh, Moshe Dayan brought a Haredim to do this job. And the Haredim with their uh, clothes, it was too hot for them in the Bedouin uh, tents. So they, they gave up, and Moshe Dayan lied to Ben-Gurion and told him that the, uh, the Muslim world will not like what they're doing. And Ben-Gurion gave up. But uh, one week before the assassination of Sadat, this was 12 years uh, before the peace between Jordan and Israel, uh, Hussein uh, sent a letter to uh, Sadat, telling him, if we really want peace, we must uh, publish the, the results of that uh, Ottoman document so people will know that we are actually blood brothers. And uh, Sadat didn't have the time to get to this, and he was murdered, and nothing came out of this. But the important part of my study as it was wandering across Judea mainly, but also in, in Samaria, and in the Negev, in the north, and so on, and I found thousands of testimonials from different families, and I've written about it in Hebrew and in Arabic, so people can find about uh, these testimonials. The testimonials are some stories, are uh, Jewish customs, that existed among the Palestinians for a long period. Some of them exist still today, but uh, many uh, just were lost over the last uh, two generations, but still people remember them today. I can get into details, but this is not the issue now. You can all read it if you, uh, I don't know, Mar, if you still read Arabic. Do you read Arabic? Yeah, I, I can read Arabic. Okay, so I, I can send you the document later. But in general, the uh, the, the finding uh, show, and, and we have signs like menorahs, mainly uh, Magen David or the Star of David. And I can get into details, but it's not important now. And many other Jewish customs that show that the Palestinians are originally Jews and they know about it, and they are happy to hear about it, because the situation now, I'm going, many of them is horrible. If they can work in Israel, the situation is better, but they have to pay, every worker have to pay about 2,500 shekels to get a permit. That's one kind of corruption that exists here. And those that cannot come and work it are in a horrible situation. Uh, from the economic point of view. This is why 
it is possible to incite the youngsters to become shahids and make some uh, terror here and there and kill some Jews. But most of the shahids that we heard recently, we know very well about their uh, Jewish ancestry. And we publish this information, they hear about it, they read it, not all of them, and they're excited that finally there can be not only a solution, but a good solution. Because today, with what happens in, the, in some Arab countries, especially those that don't have oil, they see the deterioration. On the other hand, they can see how Israel is flourishing in their normal days, not in the time of, of the corona. So for them, if we offer them to become again part of us, this is, they like it very much. Many do not believe that this is possible. Many, many do not believe that we will accept them. Many do not believe that even if we accept them, they will become equal in their abilities. But I know the problem, I studied it as well, in the Arab culture that makes all this inferiority for the Arab nations in their countries, which mainly the morality, the Arab morality, the Arab desert tribal morality, and the Arab language. Both of them are disasters, and they contribute significantly to the situation in the Arab uh, countries. Of course, those that have oil are not in that uh, problem, but the oil will not last forever. And uh, in this sense, many of those uh, prefer to be to return to be part of our people. I'm speaking without forcing any religious conversion. Freedom of religion, that is a very important principle in order to be, so for this direction to be accepted. But we are currently blood brothers and we have to come closer with our culture to each other and the, the Palestinians have to learn is more about our culture, about our history, about their own history that was hidden from them in order to be able to unite and instead of killing each other, we should flourish together here and have the entire region to flourish as well. So uh, this is very important to know. I can tell you a very important leader from the past in uh, Judea, when he read my book in Arabic, he told me, all, everybody is Jewish. So I told him not everybody, almost everybody. I, I know about in general, about 90%. I can tell you who are the others. Uh, and he told me, if you do this, Tzvi, you will come the hero of the Palestinians. He knows the situation there. He know, he, he doesn't see any hope from any place, only maybe from Iran. But Iran if they will send the nuclear bomb, it will not spare the Palestinians. So, so we have to take it seriously in order to resolve this never-ending conflict. And we have to use this direction to bring prosperity and peace to all of us. So uh, I, Jibril uh, Rajub, for example, which is more famous, he got my book in Arabic, and even before reading it, just what he see, saw in video from the TV, he told the, my friend, my Bedouin friend, that is an IDF officer, 
that and this is not to make myself proud but to understand the that he understand the importance of this that I'm an unappreciated national asset so uh, and I, I am appreciated but many people but they cannot believe that this is done but I know how to do it because I've studied it for the last 20 years and invested a lot of my money that I made in high-tech in order to found the details. The, most of the Palestinians hate the Sultan, <coughs> the Palestinian Authority, because they know, uh, number one, they exaggerate, they multiply the number of Palestinians in Judea and Samaria. In Gaza, it's more than three times the real number. And uh, because of this, the support that they got from the West Half of it, they will be able to embezzle. And the people know about it. And they know how poor they are. And these leaders are making fortune. And they hate them. In addition, if uh, some Palestinian is uh, caught by, by the police, they prepare, prefer to be in the hands of the Israeli police and not the Palestinian police. Because the Israeli police is more polite more, more uh, enlightened and give them more, gives them more right. So uh, the issue in general is they have to make this thing known. And I have many Palestinian friends, may, many, many Jewish Arabs, uh, Israeli Arabs, sorry, that want this solution. The main problem is the Jews, they can't, number one, it's difficult for them to believe that those that are trying to murder them from time to time are, are brothers. And even if they believe in this, they don't accept that this can bring peace. But I know from the Palestinian side that this is their best dream. They don't like the Palestinian Authority. They don't want a Palestinian state. A, a survey that was done by a Najah University about seven or eight years ago showed that uh, this was done among uh, 4,000 uh, Palestinians in Judea and Samaria, and it showed that 80% to prefer to be part of, his, of Israel and not part of a Palestinian authority. Later, the PA that uh, is uh, funding the university instructed them to get rid of this study and put some fake study that contradicts this. So in, in general, I think it's important that people will hear the truth. I have many, many details about it. And it's important that this will be followed in order to resolve the long uh, conflict here. The conflict that doesn't enable any solution. Thank you, Sri. Um, uh, can we get some questions for uh, from, uh, our Palestinian friends? I'd like to hear how they, they respond to this, uh, this idea. Sure. Um, so, I mean, there the are aspects of what Zvi said that, that, that's very interesting. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, uh, I think um, kinship or uh, sort of a common origin tale, uh, I think there are, there's a lot to be gained from that. I do think, though, that you uh, this desire to sort of create fictive kinship and, you know, uh, 
effectively Hebrewize a people that actually have a fairly strong Arab identity is, in my view, uh, not realistic. I think what's more likely to happen perhaps is that you can highlight that, hey, you know, we have a common origin. That's something that people already identify with. So most Palestinians already uh, identify, you know, uh, the Jewish, their Jewish neighbors as being their, you know, cousins kind of going off the Ishmael, Ismail uh, story. Um, uh, and I, I, I know um, actually some aspects of uh, the origins of the Falahin is quite interesting because I, I think there is a significant, uh, you know, Jew Jewish population that converted, you know, to Christianity in the Byzantine Empire and then uh, to Islam later and whatnot. So there is some credence to that, particularly amongst the Falahi uh, uh, population. But other groups have very old Arab roots, you know, uh, and so it it's not universal. I, I don't know how we can come up with percentages. That's quite difficult to do without sort of a mass, you know, survey or census to really know. Um, but I can certainly say that a lot of the really prominent and really big clans have uh, are very proud of their, you know, roots, and th they they actually come from uh, old cultures or civilizations that you know come from the regions. So the the basic kind of Arab uh, you know tale or folklore about the origins of uh, these populations is generally that you have the Adnanite you know, Arabs and the Qatanite Arabs. So the Adnanite the, the folklore, so to speak, and how anthropologically accurate this is sort of varies, but it's uh, nevertheless sort of the identity in the tale. The Adnanites are the descendants of Qadar you know, from the Qadarite kingdom. So sort of looking at like the Negev and the Sinai and, uh, you know, uh, and you have the Lambat, the Nabatians. So you have Nabatian Arab tribes and they're like sort of the uh, Levantine Arabs and they migrated south and uh, warred and then integrated with the Qahtanis. And the Qahtanis are, you know, uh, from Yemen. And they, they actually belong to several different groups um and and both see uh you know uh nabat and qadar and these tribes see themselves as being descendant of uh ishmael and depending on how much you're how religious you are or whether you sort of see that as symbolic of the migration or you know a common ancestry these two groups migrating towards the uh arabian peninsula then sort of uh developing this arabized culture or you take it more literally regardless um this remains fictive kinship uh fictive kinship is very much the way these tribal confederations would form so they would focus on highlighting a common father you know they would appeal to adnan their common paternal ancestor appeal to ishmael a common paternal ancestor without trying to overwrite what were distinct cultures you know and so you would have like banu hashim banu hassan uh banu khaled these these different tribal confederations made up of different Arab tribes and clans. Um, I do think trying to go the opposite direction, you know, Hebrewize, you know, is not likely, even as far back as the Nabataeans, um, you know, people used Aramaic as like a written language, but, but Arabic, you know, proto-Arabic was basically a, a language that was there at the time. So this goes back fairly far back. So I do think you can get people to embrace, I think simply getting to the point where, you know, both populations see the history of the other actually part of their own part of their own heritage i think that's more realistic and i think we we did very much used to think this way up till fairly recently um so i do think you know, in, in nablus you know we have a lot of samaritan families descended from samaritans uh the say um probably just two generations ago so our grandfathers um if you give them the name the last name of any you know palestinian group they would have uh, recognized what their origins roughly are you know a bunch of uh, 
prominent Nablus families are known to be Samaritans. Uh, a lot of the Falahin, um, we know, you know, which villages are quite old, which villages are potentially pre-exile, or, you know, converted during the Byzantines under the Sassanid Empire. So that history is preserved to some extent. Um, it would require a lot of research to really compile percentages and to, to know people's origins. But also, when people change their culture, they, they tend to be quite proud of that. I mean, it would be the same as me trying to convince the, uh, you know, Jewish people that you're all Canaanites and should go back to Canaanite uh, polytheism because you were one day until you, you know, uh, until you, you your culture changed and the Israelites emerged. So I think people are also proud of their identity when it does emerge. So I, I don't know. I don't think trying to assimilate the identities is likely, um, but uh, certainly creating a common thread or a common narrative that says, well, hey, you know, uh, a very large percentage of your population probably has uh, Jewish ancestry. I think that that there's some evidence that, that could be true, um, although there's a lot of studies that you'd need to do to really break down those populations. Um, but even uh, when we talk about uh, prominent Arab clans or tribes, you know, the Tukhans, the Nimrs, the Barhuthis, the Tamimis, they all have a particular history that manifested until fairly recently. Right. So until like the 1800s, the late 1800s and in the Qaisi Yamani uh, conflict. Um, and so they still sort of recognized, you know, whether they had like uh, Levantine or uh, Yemenite origins um, uh, and kind of what their identity was um, and when they arrived in the land. And so a lot of them see themselves, for example, as returning. So you could talk about like the Barhuthis, who the story goes arrived uh, about a thousand years ago from Spain. Um, but they were actually, uh, so that, that tribe that moved to Spain is one of the Azad, um, uh, one of them who are you know, supposedly Nabatian origin. So they kind of saw themselves as returning, just like we, you know, the Ashkenazim, though they spent a lot of time in the diaspora, returned to the land. So not only do you have a history here, but also you are returning to this place from where you see your identity emerging. I think that's probably a better way forwards. And then... Beyond that, like I take your points about, um, uh, yes, the PA is not popular um, in, in, you know, in, in the West Bank, in Palestinian society, but certainly neither, neither is the Israeli state. Um, so I agree people look at the you know, comparative economic differences, but I, yeah, I mean, I would say <laughs> that there is more, dis people have a sense that they've suffered far more at the hands of the Israeli state than the PA. Um, indeed, part of why we dislike the PA is we see it as part of a larger Israeli, you know, security apparatus, um, and so and that that moves us a bit far, further away from kind of the core conversation. But I, I don't think it's that simple. Like I don't think it's uh, you know the political problems can be reduced down to just uh, you know we need to create this like fictive kinship, um, and you know very quickly uh, everyone will kind of feel feel united because. Um, I mean, you can look at other Arab states, or even forget Arab states. You can look at us before uh, the new Yishuv, you know, before the uh, first Aliyah, and our own tribes warred with each other. So it's not like just because you can convince people that they're related that that suddenly, you know, they're that resolves all of your political feuds. Um, there's plenty of Arab states with civil wars. Um, so it's not just about language or you know identity. It's all it's it's all there is also a separate political element. But I think there is something to this i certainly think that when you look at the way heritage sites are treated um uh and and the response that both groups seem to have to the presence of the other history 
I think that's something here that, that that would be quite interesting. So either the history of the, you know, pre forty eight villages and the attempt to kind of pretend that they never existed, um, or pretending the Jewish history never existed in the land. Like I think that definitely is an area where recognizing that you know the history of the other group is also your your own, I and mean, it's just the history of the land. And if you're from here, and this is your land, then this history should matter to you. You know, on both sides. Um, uh, so that that would probably be, you know, my overall response to some of the stuff that Svi said. Um, uh, I, mean, I don't know um, if you want to elaborate and uh, Svi on what you think about. Um, uh, so, so for example, the Falahin is are particularly interesting to me. So, and I think that would probably be the largest population that maybe could fit into the narrative that you have in mind. Uh, so, you have like conversions over time under different empires. Um, but uh i'm curious as to how you came up with your percentages and your you know uh you know notions of like what percentage of the population this makes up um and uh why you think sort of people would be willing to assimilate um or rather you know why wouldn't go the opposite direction i mean um you know why why wouldn't why wouldn't we call you mustarab arabized you know uh, all the mizrahis are, are arabized um oh why can't really sort of go both ways um but uh yeah can i since i have uh, since yeah I, yeah, I have yeah go to, ahead Cole. yeah we'd love we'd love to hear your response as well carl i have to sign off in a little while um i i just wanted to one express my appreciation for what zahir was just explaining first of all it, it reconciles nicely with what omar was asking earlier about the complexity um, of the Arab nation, Arabic-speaking people in the Levant is, is, is um, as we just heard, um, very intricate and can't just be you know, simplified. Uh, and it hasn't been well studied uh, at the genetic level uh, in, in alignment with the even, you know, brief but already intricate um, rendition and, and discussion that Zahir gave us, it would be very valuable. And it, I think, you know, truth can sometimes be painful, but truth is also what moves us forward in genetics. You know, it's hard to, uh, you can bring all kinds of stories and things, but you know, your genes are there if you do them right and don't fabricate the results, they're there. And indeed the little bit of information there is, does indeed show, I think what Zahir has said, that there is huge complexity uh, and, and a lot of uh, many population isolates, which are descendants of uh, tribes which have moved from here and there. And therefore, it is very complex. And there has been, um, you know, uh, a longstanding uh, Arab nation that has moved and come and gone and, 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 and many, many migrations. Uh, and therefore, you know, I think it's important not to oversimplify the situation. And, um, and I think uh, the main message is, is what, you know, the beginning message that we all kind of agree on, but also um, the message that we just heard um, of, um, you know, the affinity, some past affinity uh, of a common origin, a love for, you know, uh, the land, and then uh, a, a coming together without oversimplifying, without creating one one big narrative versus another, but there are many, many complexities, just like we see um, 
in, in the composition of the Jewish population currently residing in the state of Israel. It's complex. They come from many, they've had a very complex uh, history, perhaps over a broader geographic region worldwide, uh, and similarly for the Arab-speaking peoples of the Levant, complex history, perhaps over a slightly narrower, although we hear, heard now from, from Zahir about, you know, coming all the way from Spain, which is, is you know, quite, quite far. So I think it's, it's not, I think it, it will advance us more to not oversimplify, but to appreciate the beauty of the tapestry, actually. I want to say one more word about genetics, and I think it's something that's sometimes overlooked a little bit, and that is the, the, the phenotype, the way people speak and look. Um, and uh, obviously, um, a population that may have had uh, and did have uh, by, by history and by uh, DNA sequence, let's say, uh, a Levant origin, but then resided outside and intergress and admix for many, many generations in Europe have picked up phenotypes and a look and, and uh, phenotype being the way we, we, we appear and behave and speak, uh, which has meant as European or, or more Eastern, Middle Eastern or North African uh, affinities. And that happens very quickly. And so that in a population which has been in the region uh, even though it's complex, but in a more tightly geographic region, will will not have that larger um, um, spectrum of phenotypes, and therefore sometimes that that can be that can make uh, uh, people who are actually closely related seem distant. They seem distant. Oh, you don't look like me. You don't talk like me. Well, obviously not, because <laughs> we've been uh, wandering around further geographic areas, and and that can be uh, uncovered. Uh, that's one of the strengths of genetics. Again, I want to just go back right to my opening statement. I mean, genetics is like an adjunctive tool. It can be of interest, but it does not replace the, the what, even what Svimi Sanai uh, said, I think what we all agree on, you know, the, the overwhelming shared ancestry. We have as humans living here today, however we got here and the complexity of our cultures and so forth. And I think replacement is not, you know, it's not a. It's not a, a way to you know, just everything. I think everybody agrees with that. It's just. It's not a way forward. Yeah, I would like, if possible, to answer to Zahir. You mentioned several names of tribes and families. Very polite. If I, if I, at some point, I, I will. I will just be. I will fade out at some point. I, I apologize for that. Uh, I didn't. Okay, so you will see me again. It's not because. Of lack of interest, or lack of importance, or anything, and I'm happy to come back and something. But at some point, I will be polite. That, that's totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But thank you so much for coming. We don't get to chat again before you go. Okay, see, Svi, take it away. Zahir, you mentioned several uh, tribes and families. I didn't pick. Mm. All, remember all of them, and the, some I don't know anything about them, but many I know. Let me tell you first uh, about a more famous person, Barguti. I know from their village about their family there. It's a village called today Kubar. And I know that they're of a Jewish origin. He knows it himself. My book in Arabic arrived to him in prison through Jibril Rajub. I didn't get any reaction yet. But I know from uh, his family and from other families in the village about them. 
Now, the name Kubar of their village is not the original name. The original name was Kufar because they stayed Jewish while everybody around became Muslim already. So they called them Kufar, but later they changed it to Kubar. So Kufar means the uh, infidel, which sure. the, the name that was given to the Jews. Uh, now, if we speak about Bani Hassan, Bani Hassan in Jordan, there are uh, they came there from the from around the, uh, Yemen from Hassan Mavit, and this was from a famous Jewish tribe there. And uh, they, I have a picture from uh, 1921 approximately that shows one of them that came to bless the uh, English uh, controller here, uh, that Herbert Samuel, that uh, he had a, a peot, he had the, his head, uh, from his head he has the hairs of a, of a Jewish that were the partially... Sidelocks, call them. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, this, but about Tamimi, the nature of the name Tamimi means in Hebrew innocent, but in Arabic it is uh, not liquid, it's solid. What does it mean? It's not the original name. I will get to the original name. It means that they are not a uh, fluid or uh, moving from one religion to another. This is Tamimi. They, they were forced by the Ottoman to stop using their Jewish customs. This was in about 1882. And uh, the uh, Tamimi today is a staff. The original family, the main family, family is Tamim el-Dari. That was a Jewish friend of Muhammad. And uh, he had wine. He was going wine, wine in Mecca. And Muhammad told him, you cannot continue growing wine here. You know the reason in Islam. So he promised him <coughs> to get, this was before Hebron, Khalil, was conquered by the Arabs. And he promised, and that happened after his death, he promised him to get some five points in Hebron. And he told him, start moving your wine to there. Make yourself Muslim and go there. And uh, this is the main family, Tamim el-Dari, of, uh, of Tamimi, uh, which means the solid or innocent of my home, mm -hmm. in Arabic. Now, and it was a very good friend. Around Tamim el-Dari, several other families joined, and all of them called themselves Tamimi, which is a staff, a list of uh, families, that is uh, very large in Hebron. It, it, it went, part of them went to other places, but these are all of a Jewish origin. So, and, and I have more and more, there's no point of going into this. Now, about who should, be, if the Jews should, here in the country, I'm not saying <coughs> Jews everywhere or so on, should become Arabized, or they... Palestinians will become a Hebrew, some Hebrews. The issue is like this. As I said before, the Arab language, I will not get into details now, is a disaster. This what cause, causes 
many problems in the Arab world. Uh, there's no time to get into details. I have, I've written everything about it in Hebrew. But also, I mentioned it as well, the Arab morality, the tribal desert Arab morality that developed, and I'm not blaming anybody. All, everybody is good, but the conditions of life in the desert were horrible and were all around water. And, and this created the morality which is not good today and is responsible to what happens in, in several Arab countries today. It doesn't ex- exist as much in Egypt, but everywhere else it exists and it's a problem, especially in the Middle East, less in Morocco and Algeria. So uh, just it is important for the Palestinians to go back to this, their origin. We, the Jews, we never were Arabs. So there's no origin to get back into. And actually the Palestinians were Jews that were uh, forced to become Muslim and they, uh, they, they adopted the Arab language. But uh, for them, for their sake, it's important for them to get uh, acquainted, very good to read and write the uh, Hebrew language. And many of them know it already from working here or being prisoners and so on. But we have to make it more serious, give them the ability to read and write that many do not have in order to succeed here uh, together with us and to become uh, solid in our common identity. So uh, to you, it looks that it's impossible, Zahir because you have been fed with many lies of the Palestinian Authority. And before it existed, uh, let me just tell you that the entire idea of the Palestinian uh, people came from the KGB, their, uh, deleg- their uh, actually it was a journalist of Pravda. His name was Yevgeny Primakov, that was later the Prime Minister of uh, Russia for one year, he uh, educated Arafat of how to first declare or create a people, a fake people that never existed before, and uh, make them suffer and get the support of the world for their cause. And I'm not telling that you shouldn't get uh, the support for the misery created by their own leaders in Arab states. But uh, this, he educated Arafat how to use it in order to destroy Israel. Then uh, in, before 82 in Lebanon, one of our ac- activists from a Jewish, uh, ex-Jewish family in uh, Samaria that knows very well the history and was a very good uh, partner to my work, he was in, in Beirut. And he heard Arafat saying, if I get two meters by two meters west of the Jordan River, I will destroy Israel. Now, what happened in the Second Intifada, Sharon succeeded to make uh, Arafat irrelevant. And he, by this, he didn't need to continue with the direction of the two state. Uh, uh, Bush sent General G- Zini to speak with Arafat, and he said about him that he is the capo of Tutti, uh, the Tutti 
is the cup of Tutiki Kapi, which means the head of the heads of the mafia. And uh, this was good for Sharon because he didn't need to do anything in order to continue with this disaster to the two sides, not just for the Jews. And though Sharon didn't care that much about the other side, he knew a lot. I, I, I heard what he knew about people. Sharon said that Hebron, Khalil is more Jewish than Kirat Arba. That's what Sharon said. In any case, uh, what happened there is that the KGB or the continuation of the KGB sent plutonium to Abu Mazen. Abu Mazen uh, made its PhD in Moscow and uh, it, it concluded his work that in the, in the Holocaust there were only one million Jewish victims. In any case, uh, they sent plutonium to him and he stood together with three partners. They, they uh, told the servants of Arafat to put a bit of plutonium in his clothes every morning and that's the way that he was poisoned and killed in order to, st to force Sharon to continue the negotiations in the direction of two, two states. And this was all the direction of the KGB in order to undermine Israel that was an ally of the states in order to undermine the, the influence of the states in this region. So, so uh, you have to understand, you, you don't have the background of what happens here, though you learned a lot from uh, truth and lies that was given here. Many families and tribes that came here just say that they are Arabs, but they knew that they are of a Jewish origin. And I will be pleased to send you my book in Arabic so you can read a, a lot of the details. Sounds cool. Sure. I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a lot there. I think I've read, I actually read one of your books. Um, uh, so there's some of the stuff that's there that's interesting, but I, I think you're kind of painting a, a bigger narrative onto some points than, the, than that there is. So, for example, uh, you know, and, and perhaps part of that is, is missing information about, um, you know, Arab tribes and history totally separate to the conflict here. So, like, even, uh, Bani, uh, you brought up, you know, uh, the Tamimis, but uh, Bani Tamim is a larger tribal confederation. It wasn't just one family. So it was many, many different tribes who were part of this, you know, alliance of different Hamulas under the, you know, uh, under Bani Tamim. And so there were many different families with many different origins under the tribal confederation. And that's actually quite similar in the region. As for sort of, the, and, th and this kind of comes to a broader point about the differences in morality or societal structure or language or they're actually remarkably similar. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the old Israelite kingdoms were effectively a tribal, a tribal confederation. I mean, the structure is, is actually very much, we, we, we in a lot of ways, uh, the culture is actually quite similar. You know, old uh, Israelite or Jewish culture is actually quite similar to, to what you're, you know, what you're seeing here with with these families and these tribes. As far as trying to convince people of a, of an origin that they don't identify with, I mean, you just like. You kind of can't do that now. I think there's tremendous overlap. So, um, and yeah, there are stories of families that come in that will adopt an Arab identity, even though they had different ethnic origin. That is part of the case. However, m m a lot of this stuff predates. Um, so this isn't you know PA lies or 
um, this all this stuff sort of predates um, even the Arab-Israeli conflict um, or the in the Ottomans. So it shows up in our politics, you know, in the 1800s and 1700s, and uh, for the last 500, 600 years, like the politics between the Hussainis and the, the Shashibiya and um, the Zaydanis and the Jarrars, the Tuqans, the Nimrs, the most of the country was split into sort of uh, you know allegiances to different cities. And so you have different sheikhs who would war over control over these different, uh, you know, city states. So Janin, Nablus, different qadas in the. Um, so you know you have a sheikh in the center of like um, a particular town, and he would rule over a particular area. So in the, and these people had different identities. So in the case of the Barghuthis, their story is um, uh, basically that they are from. Um, they're a, you know, we say baton, um, so a, sec- a section of. Uh, you know, Beni Zaid, um, uh, which is of uh, Beni um, Haram, which is a Qahtani, um, a Qahtanite, uh, you know, Arab tribe. That's the, that is their story. Um, and they were at some point in uh, Spain about a thousand years ago, returned to the land, and then I think ended up actually joining the Qaisi um, uh, tribal confederation. Uh, but, so this sort, this sort of stuff shows up in sort of the... Uh, the documents and kind of the the feuds and the wars between these different families, totally separate to the Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, now, again, uh, I know that there's that there's lots of stuff they talk about that is interesting that there's some evidence for. So I think uh, you know uh, there's the tefillin in a lot of the old uh, falahi quras uh, and the way the maqams work, you know, the old shrines and stuff. There's a lot of remnants of uh, Jewish culture. Um, inside, um, you know, Palestinian villages and Palestinian people. Um, and yeah, I think there's a decent percentage of the population that are converts, but even sort of the independence of religion from tribal identity is relevant here. So take exa- the example of the Azads. So the others were Arab polytheists, uh, the Azad tribe, the well, Azad tribal confederation. Um, that's not specifically Palestinian. Uh, that's just a much larger tribe. So they were, you know, uh, Arab polytheists originally. Um, some of them would have been converted to Judaism, um, you know, in, uh, in in the land. Then they converted from Judaism to Christianity under the Byzantines. And then when they converted from Christianity, they converted to Islam um, under the Mamluks. And, uh, you know, in, under the Ottoman era, a lot of the Samaritans converted to uh, Islam to prevent, you know, to avoid persecution and paying jizya and stuff. So conversions happened all the time. Tribal identity and paternal lineage stayed intact. Um, so in any case, you know, uh, most Palestinian Adnanite clans, uh, Azadi clans see themselves as descendants of Ishmael rather than descendants of, uh, Jacob, you know, the 12, you know, all the 12 tribes of Israel, they see themselves as descendants of the sons of uh, Ismail. Um, and that, that has been part of their folklore, regardless of their religion. Um, and some of them were Jewish at different points in history, there were many Jewish Arab tribes in the Arab peninsula. Um, some of them may be descendants of, you know, pre-exile Jews. We we know for a fact very recently, not very long ago, um, a lot of the families in Nablus are descended from Samaritans. So this history varies. And the other thing is the end, the endogamous nature of these tribes varies as they shift religions. So you know, one one of the Jewish tribes in Arabia converted to Islam, and they would intermarry with the you know local Arab tribes, and so you have some Jewish ancestry that comes in through that. That's very recent. So this happened multiple times through the history. The history of the region is very complicated, but people's tribal identity, and it varies from person to person. So I'm sure you've spoken to some people who have this 
you know, uh, this this tale and this this you know this identity, and still actually have a you know a, a Jewish identity in their in their uh, tribal you know lineage, but the tribes that don't don't, they just have a different story. So you kind of can't force people to adopt a you know a, a narrative that is different to the one that they have because that is just who they are. Um, any more than I can convince you know. Uh, you know, a Mizrahi that actually he's he's not a descendant of, um, you know, uh, Jacob, but he's actually a descendant of an Arab tribe who converted to to Judaism. Um, now you you have your identity, you have your sort of family history, then there's some evidence that that history is there. And I think in the case of Palestinians, um, you are right in that the nationalism is very new, right? But then that nationalism that nationalism is new because the need for that nationalism is new. So uh, in a lot of ways, people see Palestinian nationalism as bringing, or the Palestinian people as bringing together many different origins and identities in the land against what was seen as a European political movement, you know, uh, a European, uh, you know, mindedness of uh, how to basically set up, a, set up, you know, uh, the structures and the infrastructure of the land. So I don't think it's so much Arab morality or the tribal or the desert culture that we don't have in common because I think we actually have that in common. All Jewish tribes uh, um, have a lot of a lot of the same identity that you know we have today. Um, that's certainly what I see uh, when I look at the history. So I think we actually have it's sort of the opposite. I think you know with the time spent in the diaspora, um, a lot of the you know the, the immigrants in the first Aliyah and the second Aliyah brought back with them you know. European notions of how to run a society and how to re- how to build a country, and they found themselves at odds with you know the people who were there. Um, I'm more comfortable listening to biblical Hebrew um, or the Hebrew of Yemenite uh, Hebrew speakers who still pronounce you know the ha and the ra um, and the you know like makol the ain than modern Israelite you know Israeli uh, sorry uh, Hebrew um, with uh, the more Yiddish German sounding influences. So even language evolves, identity evolves, and defines a people. I do think, though, that you are better off. The thing that people have, even people's willingness to adopt a different government or a different state for to make their lives better economically, I think their paternal lineage um, is something people are very proud of, and their story, um, and and in some cases is, is is fairly well documented. So. And the Zaydanis came here with Salah al-Din. They came here 700 years ago. Oh, that's, that's the story that, that the Zaydanis have. And there's some, we, we can kind of go into the debate of every single family. But you know, the Zaydanis say, claim to be descendant of, uh, um, I believe it's Hassan ibn uh, Ali. Um, that, that's so, right. That's right. But yeah. that's Salah uh, so, so, So you can, take, you can take each of these stories and we can look at which ones are inaccurate. And also, obviously, there was adoption of names. So you also would have people that would take on the Tamimi name, even though because Tamimi was a tribal confederation, even though they weren't Tamimi in origin. Um, Hebron is uh, Hebron is a very good example actually, um, because there's a deep Jewish history in Hebron, um, and so there's a lot of people who would have Jewish origins that would then bury that, and uh, particularly after the conflict. So I think there's some truth to what you're saying. I just think you're kind of trying to paint a, a larger picture where it applies to every single person. And I and I I just don't think that's true any more than I can say that all of Israelis are are actually um, you know Mizrahi or uh, I can 
uh, you, you kind of can't f- put an identity on someone that they don't have. I mean, there's just the origins are more complicated. The the culture people picked up along the way is complicated. And the other thing about Aruba is like when 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 the, when that conversion occurs, you're proud of it. People hold on to that identity. They're not necessarily willing to go back. Some people might be. Some people might be interested in finding about about you know their history past a certain point. Um, but other people aren't. You know, other people are proud of their proud of. If you're a religious Muslim, you're proud of converting. You know, you go. Yes, we used to be Jewish, and a, a fundamental belief in Islam. You know, Muslims believe that it's the updated, you know, it's like a, a continuation of the same message. So you can't convince someone who believes that, that they've, you know, that they've gone the wrong direction, you know, that they've, they were forced to take on a culture that isn't their own. They just see that as naturally, organically changing. And even, you know, the history of the Israelite tribes is effectively the evolution of, you know, a Canaanite culture becoming the Israelite culture. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, we can, Kind of break that down, but that, that's sort of an anthropological way to think about it. Is you know you have a people emerging out of a uh, a, a Bronze Age Levantine population, um, and then developing a new identity, being united by a common belief, you know, a common religious belief in monotheism, and that then you know bringing those people together. Um, so that's that's sort of my overall take on it I, this there's a lot of stuff that you talk about that's quite interesting I do think a common identity is important I just don't think it it's going to work through assimilation I think it's going to work by letting people take these deep-rooted identities and in the cases of the people you've spoken about Svi, where they actually know this historical connection to that, they, that their family might have to Jewish culture Jewish history then I think that's great and they can reconnect with that identity. Um, but in the cases where they don't, they're not going to. Instead, you can. What you do have in common is common connection to the land, a common sense of this being your homeland and this being, you know, the place that you have in history. And it's hopefully, based on that, people can, you know, develop a system of equality rather than sort of the hundred years of sara uh, that we've lived under, um, like uh, basically uh, an unequal, you know, unjust system. And that's sort of delving into more politics than you know i'd like for this conversation but uh sure. yeah that's, that's my take on things is it possible to make a, a short answer or reaction yeah, sure, yeah sure, sure. okay first if you speak about tamimi being uh, spread in other places i have tamimis from saudi saudi arabia that are in contact with me and telling them that telling me that they know about their Jewish origin. There were many Jews there uh, in Hejaz, and uh, some of them became uh, Muslims, so many of them, and others were forced to go to Yemen. And uh, there are still many uh, Arabs, so-called Arabs in Saudi that has this uh, kind of period. How did you say it in English? uh, Side locks. Side locks. Side locks, like a lock, a lock, and then on the side. Okay, they have side locks that yeah. they put uh, behind the ear in order to hide it. And uh, the royal family of Saudi, the head of it was a Jew from Iraq. They, uh, in Kuwait, the ruling family, Kuwaiti, is Jewish. We heard from one of the princes. In uh, the Emirates, the uh, MBZ is 
and the, these families are Jewish origin in Dubai, only in the Emirate of Dubai, most of the citizens are of a Jewish origin. Many know about it, others do not know. And in uh, Bahrain, the ruling families of a Jewish origin, and uh, also in uh, Qatar, the population is of a Jewish origin. We know about many of them. In Yemen, if you take Bani Hassan, for example, they came from Yemen. And uh, in Yemen, there was in the past a very big Jewish uh, kingdom that was called Khibar. This is the second Khibar. Mm-hmm. I will not get into this now. And uh, many of them came to many places. And uh, if you take uh, Barghouti, they came, I don't know from where they came, but we know very well on their Jewish origin. If you, uh, you you mentioned some other families, I don't not remember now, Zaidani, for example. They came from Yemen. They had uh, not only Jewish origin from there, but they they had the Jews to, cre- to recreate the Jewish settlement in Tiberia. And they built uh, houses for the Jews in Haifa and Akko. And uh, I just recently spoke uh, with this family. And you mentioned other families, I don't know, but we know about many of them. You can read it. In the book, the Zaidani is now in process of a translation now for a new version, but I will send you the version that I have. Many families are there. Now, when they became Arabized and they want to succeed, they say that they are Arabs, and many of them invented fake a, a history about the origin of the family. For example, Bashiti from Jerusalem say that they're from Ab- Abdel Mutalab. Husseini say that they are from Hussein, Hussein bin Ali. And, uh, but they, they, this is entirely wrong. <coughs> they say that in order to become a friendly and to become tax collector. And the Ottoman uh, authorities believed them and gave them, and this is why how they became rich and so on. But Husseini had another name, Al-Aswad, they came from Sudan, they are of a Jewish origin, they uh, lived in a village near Jerusalem, but they married locals in order to change the color of the hair, of their uh, skin. So so we know about many, you can read it, and uh, you have to understand that people that wanted to get better life under the Arab, and mainly later the Ottoman authorities, lied a lot about their origin. There are many cases like this. So, and uh, of course, after 1453, there was here a set of problems in the country and many uh, moved to uh, other countries, mainly to Saudi, but also to Egypt, Sudan, uh, Iran, and uh, Iraq. And later they returned. And when they returned, they called themselves, for example, Hajazi. That was not the original name. El Masri are Jews that came to the Gaza Strip from uh, Egypt and uh, because of the promise there for the Jews, and they became like the others, forced, uh, forced to be Muslim. Now, I am not speaking in any way about any religious conversion. I am only speaking about national unity. Everybody can have their own religion. And I'm not speaking about forcing anything. Only those that want to rejoin us, 
will select to do this and you will surprise. It will not happen in one day, but you will surprise the extent of supporters. That's all. Okay. I mean, I, I think in terms of a solution, like everyone I know in this room, I know personally, and we're uh, we, all of us are in favor of some kind of one, one state anyways. I think in, in terms of the narrative, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't speak for Carl. I don't know, but uh, the rest of us, I know, I know pretty well. And I, in terms of what I think about the narrative, I think simultaneously it is, I think it is good for Palestinians to some who, especially those who have knowledge of having Jewish roots to rediscover Jewish roots in a way, I, like you say, and not in terms of changing their religion or anything and sort of, you know, just cultural affinity. I'd like to see Palestinians recognize Jewish history and not sort of skip over it and start with the Philistines and then move straight to the Romans as if Jewish history doesn't, isn't here and recognize that as part of their history, even though they're now, they may have a different identity. And at the same time, I think Jews need to have respect for, for Arab identity and understand that there were, in, at least in, in the south of the country, there were the Nabataeans, the Kedarites, there were the, the Edomians, and the, there were, even in the classical Jewish period, there were, you know, Arabic peoples. Uh, Ezra Hadon, the, the son of Sancherev, moved Nabataeans into Samaria, even in, you know, in the, in the period of, uh, of the northern uh, kingdom as they were being, you know, taken over by the Assyrians. So we have a long history of being related, and they have this common story. We have this belief that of Isaac and Ishmael. So for those Palestinians who that is their narrative, I think we we I, I'm okay with that. Like I I accept that they I want think to it's be also, their family. You know. Yeah, I, I think it's also there's a difference here about how the two identities work. So I think with the Jewish identity, there's a sense that it's like a light that's going to continue through despite many different conversions and many different cultural changes. That because you have this you know, old, you know, root that it's kind of still with you. And so that to some extent makes sense. I mean, it becomes a matter of perspective. So in the case of, let's say, we, we spoke about the Gazaydanis or uh, the Tamimis or whatever. So there were many Jewish tribes in, in Arabia. There's a Banu Harith, Banu Ghassan, had the Jafnas, um, you know, Banu Aus, Banu Nadir, Banu Qurayza, um, you know, Banu, these are all, these are all Jewish tribes in Arabia. So this, you know, this is, this, you know, this is definitely there. And so, um, it's entirely possible. Right? So take the example of the Zodanis, who who were seen as being, you know, Qatanites, um, as as are the Barhutis. Now that that just says that they're from Yemen. Now being from Yemen means, yeah, they could have they could have been Jews from Yemen, or they could have been Arabs from Yemen. I'm, you know, I, I can't say for sure. Um, but the way the Arab identity works is almost the opposite, in the sense that it's inclusive. So you end up you kind of. Uh, it's not so it's meta ethnicity. So as long as you kind of speak the language and you understand the culture, when you're included in the identity, you're effectively Arabized. Um, so it's like not mutually exclusive with the Jewish one. They kind of work differently. Um, so you can kind of be both at the same time. As far as languages, I think it would be good for both people to speak both languages. Um, it's just sort of uh, the region. But you also have to bring it into modern times. So this is also focusing on long history. But the reality is part of it also becomes down to how identities are forged. And identities are also partially forged by conflict. So in, you know, post, sort of in the last 70 to uh, 80 years, um, the Palestinian identity has been kind of, uh, you know, there's a sense that it's forged together by common suffering or a common struggle. You know, so from the Nakba, the Naksa, and uh, sort of the, you know, the life in the West Bank and Gaza, there's a sense of common suffering, and so there is a resentment for the other group of people. Um, so even those who do have Jewish roots or Jewish origins will tend to feel presently 
um, this doesn't go for everyone, but have more allegiance to this sort of notion of the Palestinian identity because that represents what they've suffered, um, you know, in the last 70 to 80 years better than, uh, I guess, associating with the state of Israel, which for a lot of people, even those who may have Jewish roots, like what Zvi says, um, feel that they have suffered at the hands of. So they have no, there is no desire to embrace uh, the other state um, after all that they've been through. Um, so far, even if they are, you know, uh, brothers, brothers fight and brothers kill each other. Um, and so it's not just about finding common, you know, uh, ancestry or common ethnic or tribal origin, but it's also about addressing the, the most important part of the narrative. You know, when the first Aliyah happened or the second Aliyah happened, um, you know, it's, it's not like what happened was you had a group of people show up who said, hey, we're all related and let's kind of... Uh, um, you know, build the state together. Um, I know, although I know Ben Gurion made a made an attempt in his early history very briefly. Um, but uh, yeah, there was there was a conflict, and there's there was an occupation of the West Bank, and so as a result of the conflict, the narrative the average person cares about more is the more recent narrative, the the, the present conflict. So that's the first thing that you need to address. And referring back to common history and common tribal roots, I think helps simplify the conflict from being about you know uh oh we're just fundamentally ethnically different because i really don't think that that's true um i think there's a there's a uh, there's a mix and i think there's basically most people are levantine in origin um but also looking at the political ideology um and the conflict the two people have been through that there's a need for reconciliation in that narrative so you can't just look at the past and go back to thousands of years ago and go, okay, well, we're you know we're descendant from a similar group of uh, fathers or a sort of group of people. People already kind of accept that they're still willing to have a conflict. People who already identify as the as the same still go to war. Um, brothers go to war, have throughout history. So it doesn't. It's not enough. You know, there is also this thing that we've lived through for the last. Uh, you know, 100 years, then that's the prevailing narrative of, of both people, really, the average Israeli and the average Palestinian. So, yeah, uh, A, I think people will take with a grain of salt some of the stuff uh, about, you know, the common uh, identity. Um, it is very interesting, um, particularly in cases where it's well-founded, um, is that, yeah, we, you know, we do have a lot of common roots, um, whether they're Jewish, Samaritan, or, you know, Nabatian or Qadarite, you know, uh, there's a lot of history in this land. It's very, very, very much intertwined. Um, but but I, I don't think that's going to be quite enough because the new narrative, you know, the narrative of the conflict, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict in the sense of a common struggle or common suffering, not just com not just Palestinian nationalism, but also when I say these people were farmers, so they lived on their village. They didn't really care who, whether it was the Ottomans or the Byzantines or the Assyrians who ruled over them, what they wanted was to continue to live on their land. Um, that was the most important thing to them. And so being expelled from that land is deeply painful. Um, there's a deep, deep, deep love for the land. And I think the deep love for the land is is, is probably the strongest thing you can uh, appeal to um, on both sides. Very true. Is it possible to make a short comment? Comment, Zahir. Please do. Okay. Yes, but I, I'll leave it at that after. Identify with all the suffering. There's no question. Uh, it is a, a big a trouble that happened to many of these people. However, the main question is who is responsible for this suffering? 
The War of 48 started when Hajimin al-Husseini, that he was in Egypt together with Albana, the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, they incited the people in Egypt to press the king to go to the war. Now, the Egyptian officers told the king, we cannot win against the Jews, but he was forced to start the war and other Arab countries followed him. And this created the uh, disaster of the Nagba. Now, it's not all. When uh, uh, there was the so-called massacre in Deryasin, that was an invention, and I can get in details, but it's not important now, the Syrian and Lebanese prime ministers called the Palestinians to leave the country, and after the Jews will be uh, uh, sent to the sea, then they will get not only back their houses, but also the houses of the Jews. Even the king of Jordan, Abdallah, told the Jews, uh, the Palestinians, don't uh, you can stay where you are because we are going to conquer the place and we will save you. So people believed it's better for them to run away. But this was a major disaster. After the war, the refugees in Cairo attacked, uh, first blamed Hajimin al-Husseini in the Nagba, and there have been two attempts on his life that failed. So, uh, of course, they are victims. There's no question. But the question is, who is to blame? And all the lies that the people were fed about are that we are to be blamed. But we didn't start this war. And, uh, of course, we have made some trouble, like uh, Ben-Gurion said to Rabin to make the massacre in Libya, in, in uh, Lod, or Lud, in order for the people to run away. Because Initially, there was no intention to ethnic cleansing, but because the Arab leaders uh, encouraged the Palestinians to leave, many left. Then uh, Ben-Gurion fell in love with this direction, and he told Rabin to massacre 80 people in a mosque in Lid, in Lod, that caused half of the Palestinians from Lod and Ramleh to, to uh, flee away, part of them to uh, Samaria and other parts to Jordan. So, so there's no question of the summary, suffering. And we have to deal with this. This is the reason for the hatred. But people have to know the truth. Who caused this? And why the war started? Why? And this was just the first war. Then because the Arab lost in this war, they wanted to uh, rectify the situation. So there was another war and another war until the Arabs gave up and left it to the Palestinians. And the Palestinians were uh, funded by the Arabs and the Soviet Union in order to create terror and create hatred among the Jews to the Palestinians. So there is a lot to rectify. There's no question. But we'll see who will want to join us and who will want to stay Arab? And it will not happen in one day. I am speaking about a long process that will start with the, those that are part of us already, like some Bedouins, and those families, like in Hebron, 
In other places, they know their Jewish origin, the Samaritan. I'm not speaking about, there's no Jewish people. There's the people of Israel. And the Samaritans, most of, most of them, are from two tribes in, of Israel. For example, Bani Sachar are from the tribe of Issachar. They're in Jordan, 70,000. So, so I, and there are many others in Jordan. Hawitat, for example, in Jordan, they, <laughs> the, the, the previous commander of the Jordanian Air Force came uh, from Hawitat, and his father has philatelites, had philatelites. And uh, when somebody from there came to visit and found us, and he came back to Jordan, his mother raised her hand, her hand to the sky, to God, and told them, finally they found us. You have to understand that this is a major tragedy happening here to both sides. And unless people will understand and know the truth and not the lies, the lies that they themselves invented in order to, to gain some, uh, some uh, uh, money for, from tax collecting and so on, uh, uh, the, the, we have to remove these lies and it, it will be gradual. I'm speaking about the process of 40 years. The, because we cannot educate everybody at once. Those that favor it uh, now will get it first, and later more and more will join. Very interesting. Any any final thoughts? Omar's are here. Um, I don't, I mean, there's just, there's too much there that I, well, I enjoy the sentiment. There's just too much there I disagree with to, to, uh, yeah. to, to start. I, again, I, I think there's, there is a few things here that are interesting. I do think people recognizing common origins or, you know, ancestry or history is is important. Um, I I think this goes back uh, as far as I'll tell you the Palestinian narrative. As far as who we see uh, um, to blame for the problem, it's not really see just a it's not really an Arab Jewish thing. Um, so if you go back to 1914, uh, like Palestine uh, newspaper. Um, in the writings of Asad Asa, uh, what he wrote about, what his thoughts were about the Zionist movement, which he saw as a political party, um, uh, you know, a political party, uh, uh, and he responded to them as such, and he eventually had to go to an Ottoman court to respond to that. Um, and uh, he said, you know, when we said Zionists, we referred to the political organization with its headquarters in Europe, which aims for the colonization of Palestine, the usurpation of its lands, and its transformation into a Jewish homeland. That was the perception of the Palestinian people in the early 1900s, you know, before even 1917, about what this movement was, um, and that altered the perception of the locals towards the uh, you know the immigrants, the first of the year, and it would later lead to incitement, um, uh, and you know uh, the beginning of uh, riots and uh, things like the Chevron massacre. So uh, this early ideological split. And I should point out, Asa Asa went on to explain that you know, when he said uh, Zionist, he was not referring to you know Jews who he saw as his brothers. Nor did he have an issue with Jewish immigration uh, per se. Well, we, we, and the, the issue lied at the core of uh, you know political Zionism. You know, quite frankly, that basically the Palestinians did not buy into Herzlian, the Herzlian you know kind of Darjud and stuff, um, which we saw as basically being like European ethno-nationalism. Um, uh, and that—that's the Palestinian, uh, you know, or the modern-day Palestinian perspective on the subject matter, telling different Palestinian tribes that they are Jewish in origin, uh, even if they agree with you, still won't change their identity. Okay, great. Okay, I'm Palestinian of Jewish origin. 
So I'm from in this land, and that, that's they will still identify with the with the right. Palestinian state because basically, not even just the Palestinian state, but the Palestinian identity, because that's the identity that represents the suffering that this group of people has, got, has gone through. Ultimately, they're from a village that was destroyed. I think like we're trying to reduce the the Nakba down to like eighty people who died. You know, uh, is is just uh, it's just people just aren't going to buy it. Somewhere between like four hundred to six hundred villages that were destroyed in forty uh, eight. Um, there's villages, you know, uh, people are you know have a deep identity around. Um, uh, many were ransacked. Um, uh, you know, many were killed. Um, ultimately, uh, you can say there was no intention to ethnically cleanse, but there was plenty of politicians that that said that was their intention. That meets the uh, criteria for me. Um, and as far as Arab leaders. Um, we aren't a fan of them either. Uh, you know, there, there is no love. Uh, we, we constantly complain about Hakam and Arab. You know, we constantly say Arab leaders. Uh, um, yeah, Arab leaders are not popular um, with the people. Uh, we have so we, we are the ones who critique them most. So I think pointing to them uh, reduces the blame. But Israeli or Zionist political leaders are even less popular. And so you know, the fact that we're not popular, you know, we're, not, we're not fans of one, doesn't mean we're, we're fans of the other. And I think that that's something that's frustrating for us to see, where it's like, yes, we, we, we have so many issues with the PA. We have so many issues with our leadership. We are not fans. They are very corrupt. You know, They have, they have many, many, many problems. Um, but we think the Israeli government is worse, um, not in terms of how it functions economically or politically or you know, in terms of organizationally, but in terms of the way they've treated us um, and what we've lived through. And that, 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 is what, that, that is the thing you actually have to con- to fix, to change people's perception. Um, you can't go the other way. People are not gonna embrace the uh, the identity of who they see as their oppressor. Um, that's It's it's gonna go the other way around. I think you need equality and peace first in order to for the for people to look at their history and see the other side as, as their kin. You kind of can't convince someone, it's too, yeah, you have uncle, you know, the uncle Toms in every society, you have, Maybe 10, 20% of the population is willing to do it for financial gain or to make their lives better. Um, but in the meantime, I, I do think that that identity is not going to shift until uh, you can build it on a backbone of just uh, you know equal civil and political rights. Until that happens, I, I don't think that that's going to occur. Um, and I think Palestinian nationalism whether you interpret that as a state or just the music, poetry, writing of uh, Darwish and Kanfani and uh, all of our sort of uh, traditions and culture and um, the the how important the Khadija is to, to every Palestinian is quite deep. Um, and yes, we know we have we have people in our population who would be willing to go over the other side. We just see those people as traitors, you know, we, or, or we see those people as giving up their principles in exchange for. Um, financial or, or you know monetary gain or for their lives to be temporarily better. Um, I think probably the key difference that we that we'll disagree on is just how much I think because we've lived through this, like we've seen it with our own eyes, the the dislike that Palestinians have for the Israeli state, Israeli history, isn't something they were taught in school. Yes, you know, there's problems with the education system. People aren't taught, you know, uh, everything about the history, but it's also stuff we've lived through our own eyes. You know, it's just stuff we've experienced interacting with soldiers or interacting with uh, the other side that leaves us with this impression. 
And so that that you can teach someone about their tribal history or their their identity or their origins, but that won't change the fact that the state, the government that they that they have a distaste for, is that of uh, frankly they don't like either. But there's no comparison. I mean, the, 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 most of their suffering has been at the hands of the the, the sense of this big powerful other, and so the, that is the narrative. And even if you don't agree with what I've I've said, uh, Zvi, I think that's what most people think right now. Uh, I'm giving you the word, but what the average Palestinian thinks is, is um, the number one, you know, uh, in terms of their identity and their narrative, the number one cause of their problems is is this, you know, the Israeli state, um, followed by all the problems with our own leadership and our own corruption and the mistakes of other Arab leaders. We certainly don't see, you know. Uh, uh, the 48 war, the 67 war is being, having been for our interests, you know, the Palestinian people, it was for the interests of different Arab leaders. Hakam uh, al-Arab, the Arab leaders are constantly criticized uh, by by us, but it doesn't let, it doesn't let Zionist leaders or, uh, you know, Israeli uh, uh, politicians off the hook for the stuff that they've done. Um, and more recently, the new generation, the kids, the youth, what we've grown up with, isn't stuff that our parents taught us or we learned from schools. It's also stuff we've seen with our own eyes. You know, we, we get our houses raided. We, we, know, we, we have these interactions. You know, uh, we cop beating some soldiers and then people have that, have that identity. Um, and so it's, it's not something you can unteach them. It's just something that they have to experience, have to live through. And once that changes, then I think the identity can begin to change. I, I mean, I like to lack this a very small point. I, I agree okay. with many things that you, you say, but you have to understand that what you mentioned about 1914 and the anti-Zionist uh, attitude of some uh, uh, publications or, of, or newspaper, Palestinian newspaper, was uh, led by effendis that had the money and the influence. And some of these effendis were tax collectors like Hajimil Husseini and the others. And they uh, were collecting money from the Falahin for the land and for taxes. And when the Zionists came, they gave work to the Falahin to work for them in agriculture and in building. And they didn't pay any rental to the Effendis. And this is why Hajimel Husseini and others started to incite about the Zionists. And this is all, all the conflicts started because of greed of these people. And there was no real reason for the greed. In 36, I know a family from Bidya that said to Hajimel Husseini, what do you want from the Jews? They are bringing prosperity to the country. It's good for us. And then he burned their house, and later they have to live here in the riots of 36 to 39, not because of the Jews. They didn't have any army, and everything that they had was minor. There were more than 10 times Palestinian refugees that fled away from Jamin al-Husseini and all these gangs. And this was the reason for the hatred. The Jews had to, to respond, they had to protect themselves. You know that Hajimel Husseini, uh, he was, a, 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 he met with Hitler. He, he, he refused to the request of Eichmann to send the Jews from Europe to, to 
here to the country. And that's why the Hitler selected the solution of the Holocaust. You have to understand what your crooks have done to you and to us. And we have to finish this, to end this, and people will hear about it. will not continue to be silent, will not continue to be ignorant of what happened here. You will hear about it. And this will be end to this tragedy. Okay, I mean, I, I'm not sure I agree on, uh, the, on Hajimine Al-Husseini's uh, encouraging Hitler to do the Holocaust, but he definitely discouraged um, people from sending Holocaust refugees here. At the same time, I feel the Zionists need to do Yeah, they need to do a better job in communicating with the Palestinians that of a vision that included them in in this country here that was a Jewish state and maybe that wasn't expressed well enough um but that's you know I think that's that's then in terms of now I think it ha- if we're going to talk about a common narrative be it Isaac and Ishmael or or you know the Hebrew origins I think it needs to come in tandem with a uh, a solution a political resolution to the conflict you can't you can't base the uh acceptance of like we'll live in a state with you if you agree that you're you're israelites or we agree with your that you're hebrews i don't i don't think that that's i don't think that's fair in a, in a sense but i think that once you know if you do it at the same time you're saying listen we're gonna either way we're gonna make one country and live as equals here and then you know while we're at it let's come up with a common narrative and learn a little bit about Our Jewish roots and we'll learn about your Arab culture and we'll we'll try to find a balance for how we're going to live together I think that's that's sort of a, a beautiful thing yeah I mean I, I, I there's too much like I again I I, I share the sentiment but it's just too much I disagree with to uh, to feel like I could give it enough of an answer and I also don't want to derail too far from the topic of the conversation you know this is supposed sure. to be about so uh, I can just say what we, what we believe is we, we see that um, uh, modern Zionism political Zionism Herzl Max Nordeau in particular uh, you know um, and even sort of later down the line yeah like Jabotinsky and stuff um, had little to no regard for the uh, Palestinian locals who they saw as having uh, sort of uh, only possession rights and no right to concentrate in the region. Um, and they saw themselves um, you know returning there as the, the the people they were interested in that mattered it's not like they showed up to the lands v and, and, and said oh these people are our brothers um you know this is what we're 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 here to build a nation together or whatever and with the exception like bridge alone there wasn't really a group that thought that way um it, it, there was very much a sense that it was their land their country and um, uh, or that they needed at least uh, to establish a state there and Uh, a focus on sort of the Darjudan start idea of what was important about that state um so you have like a hard arm later down the line with the uh, cultural Zionism a slightly different viewpoints but ultimately uh this ideological difference is what made it so that the offenders and the the, the mutasalims you know the tax collectors and the ruling class the politicians uh were able to see uh saw that saw this movement as a threat they saw this immigration as not like the Armenians or You know a bunch of other groups that have moved the land and they saw this as unique that in this case they they were going to topple the ruling class of the country but also impose uh, a demographic control over the land and that that control would only apply to those you know who I, who were identifying as a uh, Jewish um, that the, that these are the people who would have sort of a uh, superior rights to the land and the, they rejected that 
they were they began to reject that as early as the uh, 1900s and then by the time Balfour happened it was seen as a confirmation that everything they'd been uh, you know say all these you know people have been telling us Isa Laisa and uh, Al Carmel Palestine like the Palestine newspaper um, was true um, and that we were right you know these people weren't refugees they weren't immigrants they weren't here just to bring us because as you said many people did business with with you know the uh, Jewish immigrants in the first, the second, and the are, and they had no problem with them, and so uh, um, they were very happy that they were there. And even I mentioned the case of the, of the Zaydanis, um, uh, Zahar Lamar, for example, who I've actually uh, chosen my alias based on. He wanted to promote Jewish immigration from Syria and uh, um, uh, you know uh, uh, Aleppo, and so the, the shift happened when we saw a European uh, political movement with with. You can dis- you can disagree that it was colonialist, but all their tactics, all their behaviors, um, how they acted towards the locals, they they saw us as primitive, and they treated us you know in that same way. Um, they had very little regard for our villages, very little regard for our way of life and our, our culture, um, uh, and they didn't make they didn't extend a, a bridge to say that oh we are the same people. You know there was a the, there were figures that did, but they were a minority. Uh, the majority just shifted into pragmatic Zionism, began to build, said we'll deal with it later. And as soon as the conflict erupted, they saw it as a, a chance to, uh, you know, transfer is the word they used, ethnically cleanse is the word I use, that population out of the land. And so what, what you're doing now is trying to, to you know, I, I, I basically, you, you would have a harder time convincing your own people of this idea. Um, I don't think the Palestinian identity ever really cared as much about uh, whether someone was Jewish or not. I think it was really just we've now created we've just created an identity based around the name, one of the names of the land um, that represents our struggle, and it kind of refers to everyone except this this state. I mean, it fundamentally disconnects itself from the Israeli state and the history of the Israeli state, rather than you know whether someone is Jewish or Arab or. Samaritan or Armenian. Um, uh, that's yeah. what I think in a nutshell. But I'll avoid going back and forth on it because I, I I get the sentiment of what Svi is uh, trying to say. I just I just think there's a huge narrative gap between the two sides. I, I don't think we're going to bridge in this conversation. But I think what sure. I can agree on is uh, the common history and that goes back to ancient roots um, and. Uh, you know, uh, highlighting to both sides that you know the the connection to land that these groups of people have, um, and the tragedy, um, uh, you know, of the conflict to to date, um, uh, as well as you know their story, um, because yes, the story of uh, th- there are many uh, Palestinians with Samaritan or Jewish roots. And, um, uh, most Palestinians don't know what how big a percentage of Israel is actually Mizrahi. They have a very similar culture. They have Arab. You know, they they lived. In, they've been in the Middle East for, you know, thousands of years. How long Jews lived in Baghdad or in uh, in Syria? Um, so highlighting that history changes the way people feel about the other. Um, a very good example of this is um, uh, Wasif uh, Jawhari. Um, Wasif Jawhari. Um, he spoke about uh, Abna al Balad. Is what he's what he referred to. He referred to the uh, the Jewish people who had been in the Middle East this whole time as Abna al-Balad and the ones who were and he basically felt a connection to them and the ones who were you know had embraced European culture as being outsiders 
So I, I, I can see what he's saying about how culture and identity can kind of define your narrative and forming a common culture and identity definitely is the way forward. I just think when it comes to historical narrative or how people see the conflict or who's to blame, the differences there are probably too large to bridge in one or two or even, you know, a dozen of these conversations. So probably we'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, Adar, I, I don't know if you want to. Uh, yeah, pop on. What's up? Hi, Adar. That was very interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we're uh, two hours. Whoa, how time flies. Yeah. I need another minute. Is it okay? Yeah. Okay, final Shvi, we're going to give you the, fi the, the final word here as our guest. So the final word is all yours. And then we're going to move it on to the after party. Um, for those who want to join the after party, I will put a Discord, uh, a link to our Discord in the chat. Join us. You'll see on the left-hand side, side, it says lounge. Click lounge. You'll be connected via voice. You don't need to speak. You could just type. There's a place to type as well. We'd love to see you there. The after parties are wild. Shvi, all you, friend. Okay. Uh, Zahir, I agree with many things that you said. On one hand, there was the greed. On the other hand, was a difference of culture for, by the Jews that came from Europe. There's no argument about it. But today, we live together already. For a long period, many Jews came from Arab countries, and the assimilation of culture and the understanding of the people, not of the leaderships, is much better that was, than was 100 years ago or 80 years ago. And this is why it will be easier to resolve this issue now, and this is why it was impossible to resolve it then. But uh, now that we educate people about everything happens, and it, the Ashkenazi Jews that came from Europe, their contribution to the local culture is very important. The Arab world is in a disaster, most of it now. Only uh, uh, the oil saved some of them. And the uh, European culture uh, to come and make a melting pot from the, with the Arab or East, Middle Eastern culture is very important to create a superior culture that we can again uh, in the Middle East become the center of the world. It will not happen a year and not even in 10 years, but in 20, 40 years it can happen. That's it. Inshallah, amen. Thank you, Tzvi. Thank you. Uh, it was great having you, Tzvi. If you still have more time, I'd love for you to join the after party as well. There'll be a lot of people there who maybe want to ask you questions. If not, um, I'm sure we could do something again in the near future. Uh, whoever's new to the, the channel, hit that subscribe button. Um, we have actually three more live streams this week, so it's a busy week for us. A lot of interesting things tomorrow. We have an Armenian-Azerbaijan debate. After that, we have a live stream with Mordechai Kedar. And then on Thursday, we have a debate with Zahir and Gershon Baskin. So very busy week. Uh, community chat, I hope to see you all there. Signing off. Amazing.